following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Amen. Good morning, Harvest. Good to see you today. Got your Bibles ready? If you have a regular old-fashioned bound with uh, leather or some other kind of thing, paper Bible, just raise it up right now. Just raise it up if you've got that kind of old-fashioned kind of Bible. How many of you are hip and cool and use some kind of smartphone Bible or iPad? Hold that up. I want to see all those. So I'll hold them up. Hold them up like it's a concert or something and you're being cool. All right. That's cool. And uh, however you're looking at the Word of God this morning, thank you that you're looking at it. And that's important to us here at Harvest. Uh, we have no authority in ourselves. We have nothing to commend ourselves to you except uh, what comes to us by virtue of the Word of God. Amen? Uh, the Lord has some things to say to us today, and we're eager uh, to hear uh, what He has for us. Let's, um, uh, you, like my new, uh, you like my new furniture up here? That's pretty cool, right? See, I'm cool too. All right. Just like those smartphone people. All right. Let's, uh, let's look up at the screen, and let's start uh, right here. Um, God's works are indispensable, good works, sorry, good works are indispensable to salvation. Somebody here have a problem with that statement just as it sits right there? Just say yes, please. Just say yes. I have a problem with that. All right, let's keep going. That's only part of the statement. I was just, uh, good works are indispensable to salvation, not as its grounds or means, however, but as its consequence and its evidence. John, that sound better now? That sounds way better, right? You were ready to carry me out here as a heretic and burn me in the back parking lot. I get it, and that's good. Uh, because salvation is not by works, but, um, but the evidence that the salvation we have is proven genuine uh, by the way that we labor for Christ and how we give ourselves uh, for the ministry. What John Stott is saying is that to be saved... And to, in the language of this series, to have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us will compel me to joyfully serve others in Jesus' name. I mean, that's, and that's what this whole message is going to be about right here as we continue to look at the Holy Spirit. Working for Christ, we're going to find, is not an option, but a standard feature of the Christian life. My salvation... Uh, my works prove uh, the legitimacy of my uh, salvation. Now, a warning. It's always good to have those warning labels on those substances that uh, can cause us some harm. And if you're the kind of person here who um, you don't want to be too upset, uh, you don't want to be too challenged. I, I, first of all, I don't know why you're here. But, um, but a warning that you will be uncomfortable with this message if A... You're not doing anything for Christ. If you're not serving Him, if you're not helping someone else, if you're not pouring yourself out, and so you're gonna be, this isn't going to be the message for you, and I'm going to pray in a couple of minutes, and it might be better for you just to slip out, it may be, uh, rather than listen to the rest of this. So that's, if you're not serving, but then if you don't even have, maybe you have a desire, but you're not serving, and maybe Christ is going to speak to you through this time, the Spirit's going to convict you about something, but maybe you're here and you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you don't even have a desire to serve. It doesn't even occur to you. It's not in your heart. You don't want to do it. Again, this, this sermon's going to be pretty uncomfortable for you as we look at the Holy Spirit's work in our life. 
We looked at his work in our life to save us. Last week, we looked at his work in our life to support us, to come alongside us, and to care for us, and to strengthen us. And this week, we're going to look at the Spirit's work in us for service, and how we pour ourselves out in this world, and in the church that he's given to us. And so let me pray, and um, then we'll get rocking in this, okay? Sound good? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are um, honored to be here. Father, I pray that we would not take for granted that you have given us your word and that you do speak to us with authority. Uh, Father, I pray that we would uh, lean in now to hear what you have to say to us. Uh, Father, that we would be eager to hear and to understand and to believe it and then to live it out. Father, help us not miss even a part of that. Not the hearing, not the understanding, not the believing, and certainly not the doing. Father, by your Holy Spirit, help us in this time to grasp these truths and live them out in your strength alone. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, the Holy Spirit works with and for and through me. That's what we're going to be looking at. The Holy Spirit works with and for and through me. Uh, First of all, by uh, filling me, I'm ready to be used. Key word in there is ready. My readiness to serve in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be prepared by God. We need to be filled with His Spirit in order to be able to serve Him uh, in, a very, uh, in a way that is um, uh, effective and brings glory to His great name. And so let's start with this verse. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Uh, maybe you know this verse. Uh, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now, that's kind of an interesting place to start. We're going to look at the rest of the verse in a moment. But uh, do not get drunk with wine. How many would just say that that's good advice right there? Just on its face, that's good advice, right? Let's just not get drunk on wine. We could, so then is it okay on a beer and spirits? Um, No, the idea is no drunkenness, right? We got that. And we could just pause right there and we could just say, uh, there's a good command for us to obey. But that's not exactly where Paul is going. At least that's not where he's stopping. He says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. The whole reason why we don't want to be given to drunkenness or impairment of any kind is because it's such a waste. I mean, that's what the word debauchery means. It's a waste. It's a lack of concern for consequences. And any of us here in this room, would you? I could confess this, that in a moment of impairment... I made decisions that were outside of my normative self-control and disciplines. Decisions that I made that I regret to this day. Who wants to confess that with me right now? It's ridiculous, right? I'm reading this going, I could have written this. This is the, the Apostle Paul said, don't get drunk with wine for that's a waste. It's a lack of concern for consequence. It's recklessness. It's senselessness. I mean, I'm getting it right up until this point. Now, this isn't just about alcohol. This is really just Paul's example to say, don't let yourself be controlled by anything other than the filling of God's Holy Spirit. Anything else that you would give yourself to, alcohol or drugs, I made a whole list here, because all of these, I think, will help us, because maybe some of you are going, well, I haven't had any alcohol in 30 years. Uh, But you're controlled by something else. Uh, Maybe it's porn. Uh, Maybe it's 
uh, drugs, maybe it's TV, you just it can't get away from the television and you just watch it and watch it and it's such a waste and it's kind of controlling you and shaping all of the way you're thinking. Gaming, some hobby of some kind, surfing the web, food, you get the idea. All of these things can be controlling factors in our lives. All of them, in their own way, can cause impairment. Any of them can be a waste. Anything can, any of these can control our time. And so he goes on to say, we're setting the foundation now. Don't let anything else control you. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's a waste. But notice what he says next. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, in contrast to debauchery, which is a waste, which is a lack of concern for consequences, uh, which is reckless and senseless, uh, to be controlled with the Spirit, this is considered, it's measured, it's, it's thought out, it's deliberate, it's intentional. I'm making a decision now to no longer be controlled by anything else. I'm making a decision to be controlled exclusively, entirely, by God's Holy Spirit. As a Christ follower, we are to be controlled by Him. And uh, you can't miss the fact, I, I hope you don't miss it, this latter, but this comes in the form of a command. This is an imperative. Paul's laying it on us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to obey the command. It's not, again, an optional thing for us as the followers of Christ to say, well, I, I'm, I, I can be controlled or not controlled. I, I can give or take this. This is a command of Scripture. Will I, as a follower of Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, this is different. Some people get confused now as we work through the Scriptures, and we've already looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and now we're looking at the filling of the Holy Spirit. And in other places, we might read about the empowering of the Spirit or the anointing of the Spirit and all these different things and sorting it out. And how does it all work together? The two primary categories of what's going on here are the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of God's Holy Spirit. i got a chart that we're going to throw up here that's going to help us. It's slightly off-centered on the screen, so if you all could just lean a little bit to your left, it's going to look straight. See that? Did you lean or not? All right, whatever, we'll keep going. Here, here's what, this is going to help us understand the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is so important for who we are as a church, and it will set us as distinct and different than some other parts of the church uh, where they love Jesus and they love the Word of God. They just look at this a little bit differently. We just need to be faithful with the things that have been entrusted to us, Amen. And, and we need to love on people uh, who uh, still love Jesus and part of the family, just not looking at it exactly the same way. And so this is us, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit baptism is this, the distinction between the two, because we really want to understand filling. Baptism is once for all. Only happens once. It happens precisely at the moment that we come into faith with Jesus Christ. It is done for us by God. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God baptizes us. We don't baptize ourselves. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. Filling, though, happens again and again. It happens again and again in our life. It depends on my surrender. 
And so there could be a time in my life where I become a follower of Christ. I'm baptized at that time in the Holy Spirit. And then um, I have these, these moments. I go to a retreat. I go to a conference. I'm in a certain church service. I'm alone with the Lord. And the Lord comes upon me. And I have this time with Him. And I feel energized and filled by the Spirit. There's times when I'm serving Him. Uh, there's just different uh, peaks in my life where I just sense that. I have this filling of the Spirit. And honestly, in our Christian life, this ought to be this kind of ascending graph in our lives, an increasing measure of the Holy Spirit in my life, increasingly being filled. And um, you say, well, how, how full can we get? Is not the container finite? And the thing is that our spirit is not finite. Our spirit is eternal. And so the capacity, I don't even know what the capacity is, but I know it's not going to be full by the time I'm leaving this earth and getting my glorified body and then I'll be in the presence of the Lord and then, bam, that's going to be full because I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. But until that day, Lord, just keep filling. Keep filling. I can't possibly get so full of the Holy Spirit that I can't take a little bit more. So it's going to happen again and again in my life. A baptism is, secondly, it's about salvation. As we've already said, it happens at the moment that I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The filling of the Holy Spirit is about sanctification and service. It's about His empowering. It's about God setting me apart for certain things. It's about holiness, and it's about pouring it out for other people according to my spiritual gifts. Baptism is, uh, thirdly, a condition uh, to be received. Uh, This comes from the Lord. It's not of us at all. Whereas filling is, as we've said already, a command to obey. Now, this is in my court. And whether I have the filling of the Spirit or not is dependent on my surrender. Baptism is, fourthly, a permanent condition. It can't change. Because God did it. What God does is permanent. And uh, so, uh, this isn't going to be altered. I'm uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm saved by the Lord, Jesus Christ, uh, by His shed blood. That's a permanent, never-changing condition. Uh, But the filling is something that can be lost. Because, again, it depends on my surrender. And I can walk away from the Lord. I can still have a relationship with Him, but I can be showing no evidence of that. I could be uh, deeply uh, turned away from Him and disappointed by Him or uh, seeing things the wrong way and a backslidden, whatever words you want to use. I still have this relationship with Him, but I'm just not showing any fruit off of that. And, And if I'm not showing any fruit and I'm not particularly living for Him, if I have sin issues in my life that I've not confessed, well, there's for sure not going to be any filling in my life. I've opened up the, the reservoir. I've, I've allowed that all to kind of pour out and spill out on the ground because I've, I've been negligent. So I can lose it. And then finally, baptism is about a position in a family, in the family. It's my identity. And filling is about an empowering for mission or ministry. It's my empowering for service. And hopefully that helps us understand the difference between the two. We already talked about baptism, and now that brings some clarity to what filling is. And anytime you see this in the Scripture now, the filling of the Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit, that's really what it's talking about. You say, well, how does that show up in my life? Well, if we were to follow along, we don't have time to kind of work through the whole passage here. We have a lot to get through. But in Ephesians 5 now, coming off of this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul then kind of gives us a picture of what, um, uh, what spirit-filling really looks like in a, in a believer's life. He talks about unashamed worship. A spirit-filled person 
will not be ashamed to worship the Lord, will not be hindered in their worship of the Lord. They won't be hesitating about their singing. If they, uh, if they feel prompted to raise their hands, they're not going to feel self-conscious about that. They're going to clap joyously. They're, they're going to express themselves in worship when their spirit filled. They're going to want to be in worship. There's going to be nothing that could hold them back from being with God's people corporately and worshiping Him individually. That's what a Spirit-filled person looks like. Secondly, a Spirit-filled person has deep gratitude to God. They understand their place. They understand that this hasn't come from them. That the baptism of the Spirit, the salvation that was entirely the work of the Lord, they're struck by the cross of Jesus Christ and all that He's done for them. And they're grateful. And, and the service then flows out of this gratitude. I'm so grateful for what God did for me. I know I couldn't do any of that for myself. I just want to pour myself out in love and service to the Lord and to His people. Spirit-filled person is deeply grateful to God. And a spirit-filled person is also humble. And gives themselves to submissive service to others. And I just love you so much. I want to pour myself out for you. I, I want to serve you as best I can. I, I want to give my, uh, my life uh, for you if I have to. Submissive service. And then the spiritual person is also characterized by holy living. I want to be righteous. I want to be like Jesus Christ. I don't want to choose sin. I want to choose to be like him. And so there's this yielding, um, uh, yielding of myself to God in a way that I'm not giving myself to the temptations that come uh, before me. These are the characteristics of a spirit-filled believer. So then what happens when I'm not spirit-filled? Well, if we look in Psalm 51, uh, there are very few glimpses of the Holy Spirit working in the Old Testament, but this is one of the clearest ones for sure. No doubt he was there because he was pre-existent. He is God. He was there at the creation of the world and before. Uh, but the evidence of the Spirit's work was less obvious uh, before uh, the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And in Psalm 51, though, David has sinned against Bathsheba and against Uriah, obviously. And um, Nathan the prophet calls him out. And having been called out, David then goes and he pleads with God for forgiveness. Psalm 51 is a powerful pleading. And just one phrase that comes out of verses 10 and 11, you see it up here, but he says, um, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now what's he talking about? Well, he's clearly not, if we were to put it kind of in the language of how we understand salvation, he's not talking about losing his relationship with God. He's not talking about losing his faith. He's not talking about eternally being cut off from God. He's not talking about that. What he is talking about is losing the anointing that had been put on his life as king of Israel. David was the king. He had a very specialized role. Here at Harvest, we have lots of servants. We have no kings. Right? There are no kings here. No one here. Has anybody been anointed here as a king? No? No kings here. But David was anointed in this very special role as king. Oil was poured over his head. It was symbolic of God putting his blessing over him and, and setting him apart to be the king of Israel. Now, David's really concerned at this point because he's committed adultery and committed murder. He's violated so much uh, before the Lord. He's hurt his own people. 
And now he's afraid that that's all going to be taken away from him, that he's going to lose the Spirit's anointing to be the king of Israel. Now, if I can take the principles from that and apply them to us, we can get in the same place where we're saying, not that we're losing the Spirit's baptism, because that's once for all and permanent, but that we could lose the Spirit's filling, His empowering for us, for the ministries, the special things that God has set apart for us to do. They don't have to be the king of Israel for these principles to apply. We could legitimately get down on our knees and plead before God in the midst of a sinful decision we've made, pray Psalm 51 and say, God, don't take the Spirit's filling from my life. Don't take away that special anointing that you've given to me to to influence, to work for, to, to spread the renown and fame of Jesus Christ. Take not your Holy Spirit filling from me. God, I don't like that that sin that I committed, that my my decisions have driven a wedge in our relationship. And God, I don't want that. And I repent in tears as David did. I want to be used by you. Now, there's a lot of people in this church who have the filling of the Holy Spirit. I see it in you. I see it in your holiness. I see it in the way you're living your life and how you're leading your families and how you're serving in the church and how you worship. But very likely there are some here. Um, this, is, this is where you are. You need to pray this same prayer that David prayed. You need to plead with God to forgive you and then invite him to fill your life again. With his Holy Spirit. Plead with God. And then obey the command to be filled. uh, With his Holy Spirit. And then by filling me. I'm ready to be used. And the Holy Spirit continues his work. With and for and through me. By then gifting me. Having been filled with the Spirit, having received the strength that He has for me, I uh, now receive gifts from Him. I'm equipped to serve Him. Now, maybe you've uh, studied a lot about the spiritual gifts, and we're going to look at the three principal passages that help us understand the spiritual gifts. Uh, They are uh, listed there for you, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Uh, These are uh, the places where we uh, see the spiritual gifts, the various kinds of talents and abilities that God hands out to people. These are enablements given to us by His Holy Spirit. Now, let's look first of all at 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, Verses uh, 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. Now, understand, different gifts. And I think as we look at these three gifts... Um, these three lists of gifts written to different churches in the Mediterranean world by the Apostle Paul, none of them are exactly the same. And there's a different emphasis in each of the three lists, which leads me to believe this. There's no one exhaustive list of gifts. When we got the Ten Commandments delivered to us, there were ten There were not 11, there were not 9, there isn't different lists and that we could just kind of go through and say this might be all of it or there might be more. But because Paul is not giving us the exact same list in every place, we can understand this, that 
we probably don't have all of the spiritual gifts here, that these are selective spiritual gifts given to us. There could be more. We just don't have a fully exhaustive list. For example, a gift of music is not, um, is not stated anywhere in any of the lists. But I think we would all agree, having been led already so capably this morning by our worship team, that there is some spiritual gifting going on up here on the stage this morning. That the Holy Spirit is in that and using that to strengthen and bless the church. You can vote with your hands right now and bless the Lord for that. Amen? I mean, that's something the Lord gives us. And... Um, so not exhaustive lists. Uh, these gifts, uh, we'll also notice from these verses, these gifts are given to how many people in the church? Yeah, everyone. Everybody gets the gift. They're for the common good. They're, they're for building up the church, for unity in the church. We're supposed to use our spiritual gifts to, to build this up, to strengthen this, what we have together in the church. And we also notice that they are empowered by the Holy Spirit and given, verse 11 says, according to God's will. He chooses who gets what gift. All these are empowered. We're going to come back and look at the other verses in a moment. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. He chooses who gets what gift. So you can't despise the fact that you were given one gift over another. I wish I had this gift. Why don't I have this gift? I wish I had a more prominent gift. I don't like the gift that I have. And um, we, we didn't choose. The Holy Spirit portioned this out. The Holy Spirit gave us the gifts according to His will. And so uh, to despise the gift is to despise the giver. And we don't want to do that. We want to be grateful for what God has given uh, to us. And so then they're listed. Uh, check out now verse 8. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Uh, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And to be honest with you, you can look at a, a dozen different commentators on these two phrases and there's not, not a lot to go on. All we know is that... Um, um, this is the speaking of wisdom, the speaking of knowledge, the speaking of truth in some manner. We don't know if it's some kind of miraculous. I couldn't possibly have known that, but now I do, and I'm sharing this. I don't know how that came to be, or if it's the imparting of the truth of God's Word. I mean, there's just no, uh, n no real data to go on, and so we just accept that there's something related to wisdom and something related to knowledge, and we know that some people just have a way of delivering truth, and some people are just very wise in their ways and seem to be wise beyond themselves, and the Lord gives that gift. I'm not going to go through all of these. Another faith by the same Spirit. Have you ever just met people? They're just filled with faith. They're just like, we can do that. You met people like that? We can do that. And then there's always people who are like, I don't think we can do that. Those people don't have the gift of faith. All right? They have faith in Jesus, but this whole faith to believe beyond this visionary thing that some people have, we can get that done. That's a person with the gift of faith. Uh, to another, gifts of healing by uh, the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. Uh, to another, prophecy. There's some question about whether that's predictive prophecy about the future, about things that are not yet known, or, um, or a proclamational prophecy, and that just the speaking of truths we already do know. Uh, in other words, preaching. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. 
to another the interpretation of tongues. There's a list of spiritual gifts that are given to us over in chapter 12 of Romans now, back a few pages. Here in Romans 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same functions, so we, though are many, one, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Verse 6, now having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in serving. Now we're seeing gifts that are very practical. Please understand that what the guys did out in the parking lot today. And setting out pylons and putting out signs and greeting you as you came in. that that, that's, That's a spiritual gift of helps and service. The Holy Spirit uses that to bless others, to prepare the way, to help you even just feel welcomed coming here today so you weren't confused coming in the parking lot and you had somebody who smiled and waved at you as you came in and that's tilling the soil, that's helping, that's, that's ministering to people. The spiritual gift of service. The one who teaches in his teaching, that's clear, the one who exhorts or encourages, or builds up in his exhortation. Don't you love those people? They're just always encouraging. Always, always helping you feel great. Love the exhorters. The one who contributes in generosity. There are some people who have the ability to make money in an extraordinary way. And then there's the rest of us. Right? Month to month. Right? But there are some people, they just, they can make money. And God allows that. Very often the people I know who have this ability just have no idea why they have this ability. God's blessed them. And then their spiritual gift is writing massive checks to people and supporting ministries and supporting churches and being generous toward those who need it. It's a spiritual gift. The one who leads with zeal, the one who acts, who does acts of mercy uh, with cheerfulness. I'm a little light on that one. Um, But we all have spiritual gifts. I've been told and affirmed and to believe that my spiritual gifts are in the area of leadership and preaching. Whatever spiritual gifts you have, I know that I'm weak in many other areas. I, I don't counsel people in the church. Anytime I have, I've made a mess of things and mostly they've left the church. I'm just not great at it. I, I'm not. I, it's true. I, I make people mad when I counsel them. So don't ever, don't ever. I'm not even joking. Like, I mean, this is serious. I'm sad about it. I've hurt some people over the years because I'm not good at it. I don't have a great mercy, compassion gift. I'm the suck it up buttercup guy. I mean, I'm like, get on with it. Didn't you hear me Sunday morning? Repent, get over it. But I just love the fact there are some great people. Like Roger Freeman loves this stuff. He loves diving into Angelo. They dive in deep and they listen to people. And they tell me about it. And I go like, how do you do that? I have no clue. Okay, I'm not gifted in that. And that's, is it okay for your pastor not to be that guy? It's because we have other guys who are that guy, right? All right, so that's just one example. And 
I'm not great at that. I'm not great at administration. And I love the fact that we have some pretty amazing people who are very organized and think in systems. And I love that. And I love the fact last week, if you, were you here last Sunday? Remember how I started the sermon last Sunday? I started by, that was like my audition for the worship team. I didn't hear a word from Jordan all week. Yeah. Something like a don't call us, we'll call you. Um, Not gifted in that area, but thankful for those who are. And so as you scan this gift list, I would just ask you the question, what gift do you have? What gift or gifts has God given you? What supernatural empowerment, enablement has God put into your life? And and then secondly, are you using that for uh, for the benefit of the church? The church needs you to be using what God has given to you. We're we're incomplete. We're not growing as we ought to grow. We're not as strong as we could be. If you're here and you're not using the gift that God has given to you. Every person has this obligation before the Lord to use their talents or abilities. Now the reality is that some of these talents and abilities, you look at them, you just go, well, I, I know people who aren't. Uh, believers who have these talents and who are really great at these things. We all know great speakers and orators. We all know people who are compassionate. We know all of these things. But the difference is in the manifestation of the Spirit, the word gift literally means the grace of God or the showing up of God in our spiritual gifts. God manifests Himself in what we do. Listen, that's where the difference comes because I know. I know that I probably would have been some kind of public speaker even apart from Christ. I know that. When I was five years old and I was at my school in Montreal North, I was was like the MC for my kindergarten class, wearing a suit and a tie. I'm up there. I'm on the stage at the microphone. I'm leading like the whole thing. I'm five years old. I mean, there was an evidence already that I was going to be comfortable in front of people, that I was going to be comfortable with a microphone, and that I was going to do something like this. But you see, the difference is, uh, but now, see, I can't affect any change in someone's life. But now when I speak, praise God, and when it happens, God's grace is such and his power is such. Hopefully, uh, the Holy Spirit is infusing this ability to speak. So it becomes a spiritual gift as it hits each of your hearts, as you're listening and as life change comes about. The difference between the parking lot attendants at Cops Coliseum in, in Hamilton and the ones at Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie is that they're not looking for life change in Hamilton. They're just looking to get you to a hockey game. But here the parking lot attendants are intent on ushering you in to the very presence of God where change can take place. That's the spiritual gift in practice. And I hope you're seeing that happen in your life. What's it going to look like if, if we are living this way? Well, I just love just the references there for you. We're not going to turn there, but Acts chapter 2 at the latter end of the chapter. This is like the first church. It's in Jerusalem and the preaching has happened and people have come to Christ and it's so amazing. And the character of that church shows up in verses 42 through 47. And, and I love that it says that awe came upon every person. Such a sense of worship and in the presence of God all came upon every person. It says that they had all things in common. Like if, if what I have could help you, I, I want to help you. And, and we're sharing things. And when people are going through difficult times, we're there for each other, praying for one another, helping materially if we can. 
that's the character of the church and then the character of a spirit-filled church where everybody's doing their part is also that the Lord continues to add to their numbers day by day those who are being saved. I don't know if it's happening day by day here, but I know this. Since we started this Holy Spirit series, five people have professed faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? The Lord is adding to our number. That's the character of a church where everybody is giving themselves by exercising their spiritual gifts. Now, before we move on, some of you will have the question in your mind about the miraculous gifts, the ones particularly listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, there is a polarization that happens in the church where there are people who believe that the miraculous gifts are done and gone and there are those who believe that all of the miraculous gifts are in full force and should be practiced every single week. And then there are people like me and like our church who kind of stand between these two tensions who believe that, that God can still do whatever He pleases to do. God's prerogative God can unleash any spiritual gift at any time that he has not, I don't believe, God has anywhere in his word limited his ability to act as he pleases. Why would God ever do that? At the same time, I believe that there are excesses and there are abuses of spiritual gift that are happening in many churches. Uh, many people who are uh, practicing these miraculous gifts in Jesus' name are not doing it in a way that's honoring to the Lord or is consistent with the scriptures. That not everything that passes itself off as a miraculous gift is actually from the Lord. A lot of it, most of it, I would say, is from the flesh. People are conjuring it up. It's not consistent with anything that we read in the Scripture. And so I would say this about us as a church. We are open to all of the gifts, but we are cautious. We are open, but cautious. I would say this, that we are a non-charismatic church, but we are not anti-charismatic. Because God, again, has the prerogative to do whatever he would wish to do. As a church, we would welcome anyone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior to be a part of this church. Any who are on a search for answers are welcome here. There might be some here who do indeed exercise a practice the gift of speaking in tongues or other sign gifts. They're welcome to worship and be part of this church as long as they're willing to not be a source of division but a source of unity. We do believe that the Christian life is supernatural, that it's a spiritual pursuit and that the Lord does retain the prerogative to do whatever he wants to do. But we want to be cautious. We don't want to do anything that would distract us from the main task of the church, which is making disciples. Glorifying God through the making of disciples. That's the main task of the church. Not these miraculous gifts which were sign markers. They were pointing to someone else. But people become so focused on the sign gifts, on the miraculous, on, on all of that, that that becomes the focus. But the signs were only intended to point to Jesus Christ and the gospel that changes lives. And so we want to be about our mission. We don't want to be a distraction to anyone else. Particularly speaking of uh, the gift of tongues, they should not have the prominence that they do 
And in many churches, that becomes the litmus test by which a person is determined to have the Spirit or not. But it's just one gift. The whole bunch of gifts. We don't even have a list of all of the gifts. Just one gift. And so it should not be seen as the primary evidence of anything. Not of spirit filling or spirit baptism. Holy living. Worship. Serving. uh, With generosity. Pouring myself for others. Those, as we've already seen, are the signs of the filling of God's Holy Spirit. And so we want to teach and live out things that lead to greater unity. We would just say that members and attendees of our church, um, uh, we don't have free reign just to teach the thing that we want to teach in the church, lest we cause division in the church. We're not that church. Now, we have fellowship with churches like that. And that's important to say. We're not, we're not drawing a hard line and going, we can't even hang out with these people or, or we don't even believe they're believers. We're not doing that. So we still have fellowship with churches that would have a different um, teaching around some of that. But it's not what's been entrusted to us at Harvest Bible Chapel. Further, I would say what happens in your private individual times with the Lord is between you and the Lord. And on the basis of 1 Corinthians 14, I also feel fairly confident that the elders are to have oversight and, yes, control over what happens in our small groups and in the public worship of the church. Paul taught the elders that all things, taught the church that all things must be done decently and in order. So let me give you one example of this. From earlier on in our church, um, we had some people who, and when a church starts, you get all kinds of people who come and they don't necessarily share your long-term values for what the church should look like. And so over time, with new church plans, people will drop off. But we had we had some people who were maybe more inclined towards the more miraculous gifts in our earlier days. They never caused a problem in the church. I want to say that. Um, they never caused division of any kind. But on a few occasions, I had people come to me who said that they had a word from the Lord for me. Now, I want to tell you two different ways how this can be handled, biblically and unbiblically. But in, in, in one case, a man came up to me towards the end of a service, and I was sitting back here as the closing song was happening, and, and uh, this was back in our Emma King days. Um, but he came up to me and he said, I have a word for the church. And I said, that's, that's wonderful. After the service is over, I'm going to get two of the elders together, and we're going to hear your word. And if we believe that it's really from the Lord, the elders will decide how that gets told to the church, or who it gets told to, how far this word needs to go, um, and when it gets delivered. Is it going to be in a service? Is it going to be in a newsletter? Is, it going to be, is there some other way that that gets communicated? Because the elders are charged with guarding the church from wolves. So we don't give the microphone to just anybody, with all due respect to all of you sitting here. We're careful about that. And I think we appreciate being guarded, our hearts being guarded in that way. So this gentleman had the opportunity, but chose not to exercise that and walked out of the church. I'm not sure if he stayed any longer, much longer in our church after that. But he wasn't willing to submit his word to the scrutiny of the elders, which is their job. In contrast to that, we had a young woman, a young couple in the church, who were very given to prayer. And uh, one day I got a call from the husband. It was a Thursday morning, and he said, my wife believes that she has a word for the church. Could we come to your office and share that with you and just allow you to share it, 
to use it however you please. Now, do you already see the difference, the humility in that? Now, what this young couple could not possibly have known is that the night before, on a Wednesday night, the elders had met, and we were wrestling with a very difficult issue. And we were praying about it and searching the scriptures and discussing it out together. And I believe we had discussed it for several weeks, even up to that. The elders meet every week. And, and uh, we could not come to a consensus on it. And the elders set the decision aside. I remember the chairman say, we're going to set that aside for another week. And we're just going to pray that God gives us a very clear answer about it. And we prayed and we set it aside. And on Thursday morning, this young couple who were not connected to the elders in any way and knew nothing of what we were discussing, walked in and she gave me the answer. Now, that's the Lord. Now, I believe that this is the first time I'm ever telling the church that story. The word was not for the entire church. She wasn't arrogant enough to think that it was for the entire church or that she should be given a microphone. It was given to the elders to allow them to do with whatever they please, and the word was for the elders. That, to me, is a miraculous moving of God's Holy Spirit that is consistent with what we read in the Scriptures. And that's what we believe would be practiced here at harvest. And when we have this going on, I'm telling you something. It's going to be awesome. Ephesians 4, 16, at the very end, it says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's what we want for harvest, amen? That's what we want for our church, to glorify God in this way. Now, having said all of that, I don't want you sitting here going, wow, there must have been some big issue and something going on recently for Todd to make that kind of really directed statement. I want to tell you there has not been. And in 12 years, we've never dealt with this issue in any way that was divisive at all. So that is not it. We're talking about it because it's come up in this series. Okay, got it? If you got it, just say got it. All right, no problems. Let's not have any going forward either. All right, now that we've settled it out. Okay, finally this. The Holy Spirit working uh, with, for, and through me leading me. I'm confident in who I am, what I'm to do, and where I'm going. Now these, these kinds of things, these are huge struggles for people. When we're spirit-filled and serving according to the gifts that God has given to us, we will be, I will say this categorically, when we're filled with the Spirit and serving according to our gifts, we will be led by God's Spirit. We will be. He'll lead us. And we'll be confident in who we are. In other words, our identity is going to be set. Our sense of belonging is going to be settled. And we're going to know what our purpose on this planet is all about. If you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering about that, I just, I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure who I am. I'm really confused about that. I'm still struggling with finding my identity. If you're struggling with knowing what your purpose is in life. It's found right here through the power of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. Romans 8.14, check this out. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Having the Spirit filling me, being led by Him, drives me to know my identity. You say, well, I, I don't know if I'm in the right place. I don't know if I'm serving where I ought to be serving. I'm going to tell you right now that if you're right here, you're at Harvest Bible Chapel and you're serving in this place, this is the place for you. Right now, this is God's will for you. And there are so many people who are kind of waiting for the next step and the next thing and using excuses and all confused. And God just wants you serving where you are with what you have. 
right now. I feel like I'm too young. I'm just a teenager. Get involved. Lots of opportunities to serve in this church as a teenager. I'm, I'm a young adult. I'm, I'm not married yet. I'm, I'm still single. I'm trying to work that out in my life. And serve now. Be faithful to God. Let Him bless you in the way He chooses. When I'm off at college and I'm back and forth and I don't know how I could serve the Lord, there's ways for you to serve the Lord. There's never an excuse. A four-year degree is not an excuse to not serve Jesus. I'm waiting until I get married and settled and have my first job. And when you get there, you're going to be so busy with your job and so busy with your marriage and so busy raising your children that you'll continue by that point to continue to use it as an excuse to not do anything for Jesus. It's so busy with the kids. We have hockey. We have this. We're going there. It's ballet. It's gymnastics. It's always something. You can go through an entire lifetime never finding a place of service and as a consequence you will always be confused about who you are in Christ and you will never have a sense that he's truly leading you there's no possible way that if you're not serving him that you could have a settledness about these matters in your life the filling of the Holy Spirit compels us to serve him and to be led and to have this identity to get my eyes off of all the things that I can see and to find hope in the things that are not fully revealed to me. I need to serve according to the revealed Word of God, what I know. And what I know is that I'm living, breathing, healthy, living in Barrie, Ontario in, uh, what year is it, 2013. I'm, I'm right here, right now. I honestly forgot for a second, so... <laughs> I need to serve him with what I have right now. Am I doing that? Am I finding joy in that? Helps me find my purpose in life to me know that I'm led by him, that I'm doing the things that he's put right in front of me. And I, I love that serving him is tied into some pretty epic and amazing things. Some things that are way beyond my imagination. The things that I could possibly even understand. Look at Joel chapter 2. We got it up here. It shall come to pass after. This is a great passage. It's also in the book of Acts. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth. Blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness. And the moon to blood. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to understand with this great kind of picture into the end times, which we are part of. God is moving us toward that day. I never understand when I look at the apocalyptic literature, what parts are already fulfilled and what parts are being fulfilled and what parts are not yet fulfilled. And I think the prophets, as they looked at all of this stuff, they couldn't sort it all out for themselves. But as I look at this, I realize some of this was fulfilled and some of it is being fulfilled and some of it is a yet to be fulfilled that we're still waiting for it. And I'm part of it. 
Those who served in the parking lot are part of it. Those who are in Harvest Kids are part of it. Those who serve on Wednesday nights in our Awana ministry, you're part of this epic move of God's Holy Spirit to bring people to faith in Himself. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what we're a part of. It doesn't matter what ministry you're engaged in. It just doesn't seem very significant. I just have a dozen people come to my house on Thursday night. It's significant. It's epic. I just, I just roll in here. I come in here on Sunday morning around 6 o'clock and there's only a handful of people here. And all we do is roll out chairs and carpet and, and, and lay out wires and hang signs. It's epic. It's epic. It's life-altering. It's glorifying to God. It's helping people call on the name of the Lord. All of it is a share in God's eternal plan. I hope you see that. And everything else about where you're going to spend your life and where you should go to school and who you're going to marry and how many kids you should have and all the other details of life that we fret about so much. You see, if we're at the center of God's will and we're serving Him and bringing Him glory and filled with His Spirit, those things will fall into place for us without a lot of fretting and worrying. We need to be about the business of the things that He has clearly told us to do and all the rest will fall into place according to His perfect, perfect plan. And so this message has been about the Holy Spirit working with and for and through me by filling me and gifting me and leading me. And really that statement that I wrote there was based on a line from a 19th century evangelist whose name was Henry Varley. And um, Varley and D.L. Moody were having a conversation. Moody, of course, the more well-known evangelist. Varley said to Moody, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through a man fully consecrated to him. We could rewrite the end part and just say a man or a woman filled with God's Holy Spirit. The world has really yet to see what it would be like. What we have going here is phenomenal. It's it's amazing. But the world has yet to see what it would really be like if this entire church were filled with people who are filled with God's Holy Spirit. We're still waiting to see this. The world is still waiting to see it. What would happen in this church? What would happen in this city? What would happen in our county and in our province, in our country? If God really lit the place up. If we were really surrendered. If we were really filled with God's Holy Spirit. I think we should pray for that, don't you? I'm going to invite the worship team up and Call an audible here and we'll do Spirit of the Living God again. That song we started with today. Let's sing this as a prayer. Let's plead with God to fill us. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God and Father, thank you uh, for speaking to us so clearly in your word. There really are no excuses for us. We could walk out of here and Ignore what the Word said, but it's pretty clear. 
And I would pray, God, that there would be receptive hearts in this room right now to the filling of God's Holy Spirit. Where there needs to be repentance, I pray that we would repent. We need to turn from our own attitudes. We need to turn from our inactivity and our excuses. And we need to turn to you and plead with you to forgive us, to not take your Holy Spirit from us, but God, to fill us and then to use us. Father, hear our prayer as we worship and pray to you right now. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.